You know, if I could ask for one more prayer request, and I thank you, Young, for that prayer. I pray not only for our leaders, but for their health, for our president, for the First Lady, um, as we are commanded to pray for our leaders. Uh, please also continue to pray for Pastor Kelly Fellows of the Refinery Church in Brea. He's still on a ventilator um, with uh, COVID. He's a fellow brother, pastor uh, in our neighbor's um, hood, our, my friend, and so please continue to pray for him. You know, I looked out at uh, the people who are in this room and I'm surprised. I'm surprised that so many of you are here, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm also surprised at all the people who are watching online every week. Uh, if I can make a confession that if I wasn't a pastor, I might not be here or I might not be watching online. It's so hard to watch someone talk for 30 minutes straight, right, without any action, like no fighting or kung fu or anything like that. And I'm so surprised that so many of you do it every week. So um, thank you for that. You know, we're going through a book of Mark. And for the first eight chapters, Jesus healed the incurable. He fed the multitudes, cast out legions of demons, rebuked the oceans with his words, and taught with audacious authority. And at the end of chapter 8, verse 29, right in the middle of the gospel of Mark, Jesus asks this question, who do you say that I am? After having seen and heard me, who am I? Peter gets the answer right. You are the Christ. Peter must have been very proud of himself for that. Jesus then further says that I must suffer and die and rise again. To that, Peter um, rebukes Jesus. And Jesus had to rebuke him back. And so here's something that's very important that I want to start with. Peter got the name of Jesus right, but the person of Jesus wrong. Peter got the name of Jesus right, but the person of Jesus wrong. You know, we need to get the person's identity right, but we need to get the person, who that person really is, right also. While I was at UCLA, one day I was walking on campus and someone said to me, hey, Steve, I voted for you. I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, hey, thanks. Kept walking. A little while, um, I was walking further, and someone else said, hey, Steve, I voted for you. Hope you win. Had no idea what he was talking about. Hey, thank you. Kept going, and, and, and I reached the quad, and I noticed a table uh, for the Korean Student Association Club, the KSA. They were having elections, and a guy by the name of Steve Chang was running for president. <laughs> and so a lot of my friends voted for Steve Chang thinking I was running. And I, just a disclaimer, just disclaimer, I never went to a case, one of those infamous KSA parties, okay? Just for the, those of you who are laughing, you went, I know. Um, you know, and, um, but it's important not only to get the name right, but the person right. Uh, Steve Chang, by the way, did end up winning, <laughs> became president. And so to the other Steve Chang, UCLA class of 1985, if you're out there, you're watching, and if life became really good because you became KSA president, 
you're welcome. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to, to say that. You know, we can oftentimes get the name of Jesus right, but get the person of Jesus wrong, especially in a culture that is very Christianized. And the United States is a very, in still some ways, a culturally Christian nation. And so people trivialize, marginalize the name of Jesus and get the person of Jesus wrong. Our passage for today, Mark chapter 9, many believe is a direct uh, response to Peter getting the name of Jesus right but the person of Jesus wrong. It is what is known as the transfiguration where Jesus changes uh, for a short period of time. He takes three disciples up to the mountaintop and he, he shows them this thing, a transformation, a transfiguration. And oftentimes when we really want to understand someone or something, sometimes it's not as helpful to see them in static or, or still, but it's when they move or change that we understand or we see or we notice certain things about them. So there are three transformations of Jesus Christ that we're going to look at the transfiguration, the incarnation, and the resurrection. That's, um, if you have not turned your Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, the first tra transformation is the transfiguration, which is a transformation from veiled to glory. Verse 2, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. It's a simple phrase. He was transfigured before them. The Greek word here is the word that we get transformation from. It's used only four times in the Bible, and each time it's talking about a radical change. Um, it, Mark describes Jesus' clothes being uh, supernaturally white. And Mark and Matthew and Luke talks about the skin of Jesus radiating uh, in, a, in a supernatural manner. You know, what was Jesus radiating with? Uh, what was he glowing with? And scholars says that what Jesus was radiating was the glory of God. Glory of God. Um, I, you know, so many of us have grown up in the church. And I see the people here, and we use the term glory so frequently that I don't really know if we understand what glory means. And in fact, I had to I Google glory. What does it mean when we say God is glorious, but we must give him glory? Right? Uh, one of the most common words in Hebrew that is translated as glory is uh, oftentimes uh, translated as glory, respect, honor, and majesty. The Greek word doxa, it's just the word we get doxology from. Um, the meaning has uh, in its nuance judgment, opinion, and good reputation. It is the person of God, the character of God, the fame of God, and, and we give, um, it is the, the value, respect, and honor uh, of God. Um, theologians uh, use this term called Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory is an earthly manifestation of the glory of God. 
It is what we can see on earth is, oh, this is the presence of God. It is often uh, visible via cloud, uh, fire, or light. When Moses was, was having conversation with, with God, and he said, can, God, can you show me your glory, Exodus 33:18, and God says to Moses, I cannot show you my glory because my glory is so glorious that you will die. But when Moses spent a lot of time in Mount Sinai, if you recall the time when they were getting the law and, and Moses went up to the mountain, he told everyone else, you can't come here. Uh, but, but Moses went up and he was spending time with God and when he came down, his face shined. And it wasn't that he was radiating, but he was reflecting the glory of God that he had spent time with. Have you ever been on a, um, gone camping and in a cool night put, made a campfire and you get close to the campfire, you put your hand and, and face to it, and after a while on that cool day, your face, your cheeks uh, reflect the heat of the campfire. And Moses, when he came down from the mountain after having spent time with God, he was reflecting the glory of God. And people said, wow, you, we, we, we're not sure what to make of this. So Moses had to wear a veil so it wouldn't frighten people. Here in this particular transfiguration, what Jesus did was he unveiled himself for a little bit so that uh, his people can see, his disciples can see the glory of God that was emanating from him. What was different from uh, Jesus and Moses was this. Moses was reflecting the glory that God gave to him. Jesus was emanating glorious, glory that was from him, but had, was veiled while he was on this particular earth. You know, I believe what sometimes happens is that we take Jesus for granted. Uh, we take Jesus for granted. Uh, he is so, um, someone that we are so familiar with that we think of him as a great teacher, a great model, but we forget that he is God in all his glory, that if we see even Jesus in his full glory, that we would not be able to live. Jesus is someone who deserves our praise, and his uh, three disciples were able to see that for a minute. The second transformation that occurs, it's the incarnation. Incarnation, where there's a transformation from deity to humanity. Verse 4 says, Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, these are two towering figures in the nation's uh, history. Moses was like the George Washington of the nation, and Elijah was like Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Moses was the one who liberated the Hebrews from the Egyptians, and he also uh, uh, gave them their laws. He, he would spend time with God in intimate ways, and he is the one who was the liberator, that, and, and the Jews look forward to, long for a new Moses. Elijah was a prophet, but he was a unique prophet. A prophet is someone who spoke on behalf of God, but Elijah was unique in this way. I know that we're familiar with people like um, Isaiah and Jeremiah because they wrote books of the Bible. This is what's unique about Elijah as a prophet. Not only did he stare down the prophets of Baal, 
but we are told in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, that Elijah never died, but he was taken up in a chariot. And when the prophet Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, speaks of the future, now listen, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree, a decree of utter destruction. Uh, the prophet who did not die but was raised up, uh, the prophet Malachi said, will come back uh, to usher in the new deliverance will usher in the new kingdom of God. So if Moses represented deliverance in the past, Elijah represents the deliverance in the future. And here were Elijah and Moses standing alongside of Jesus, and Peter sees that, and we're told that he is terrified, doesn't know what to say in verse 6, and so he, 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 he thinks quickly, what do I do, what do I do? Wow, Abraham Lincoln, uh, George Washington, wow, um, and, and, and Jesus, what do I do? Let me build a tabernacle. Tabernacle is a, like a house, a tent, one for each of you. So what Peter did was um, he had confessed in the previous chapter, Jesus, you are the Christ. And in this chapter when he saw Jesus alongside of Elijah and Moses, he equalized Jesus alongside of them. I want to honor all three of you alike. And in, in some ways, Jesus, I think Peter thought that he was really uh, doing Jesus a favor in, in some ways. But at this time, verse 7, a cloud formed, overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. It, it, reminds, you of, it reminds us of the time when Jesus was baptized and God spoke, and God's voice to Peter, James, and John was this. Jesus is my son. He is unique and different from the prophets or from the Moses. He is God incarnate. You know, um, um, so later on um, in John chapter 1, verse 14, so John is, is experiencing all of that and remembers the words that Peter, that Peter said, let me build a tabernacle, a house. And when John recalls everything, and he's writing the gospel of John, John writes in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled among us. And John is probably the most insightful of the disciples, especially in his writing, is saying that Jesus is not another Elijah, not another Moses, but uniquely different, he is God who tabernacled with us. You know, one of the things that the COVID lockdown has done, and, and, and I, I don't want to be misunderstood, but please listen with me. Uh, people who study these things like Barna and, and others who write about it uh, tell us that church attendance is obviously down Online um, viewership went up in the beginning, but it's going down. And when all is said and done, a lot of church experts believe that overall church attendance, church participation is going to be much lower than the pre-COVID days. 
And what some of these experts are saying is that in some ways this is a purification of the church, a, uh, a way in which uh, people have to really answer for themselves why they are coming to church. You know, there are a lot of good reasons to come to church. People come to socialize. They want to meet others, be encouraged by others. They want to be inspired with a great message. They want to uh, make sure that their kids are in great children's programs. We have one of the best here. And they want to make sure that their teenagers uh, go to a great youth group so that uh, they can learn great morals. And if, if the kids turn out bad, you blame the youth pastor. Why did you do that? If they turn out good, say, well, I'm such a good parent, right? That's what we do, don't we? There are a lot of reasons why we come to church, but when all, a lot of those things are stripped away from us, what we do is when we, on a Sunday morning, have to make a decision, should I stream online? Should I get up and go? This is what we do. We do a cost-benefit analysis. Is the benefit greater than the cost? What's the rate, um, return on investment? Is it worth me getting up in the morning? Is it worth uh, forsaking opportunity costs, meaning other things I could be doing that time? Is it worth uh, the risk of maybe going to church and, and meaning, having an unpleasant experience with someone that I don't really like? And, and you compare the cost with the benefits. Being encouraged by people, being inspired by the message or the music, having the kids, um, you know, enjoy themselves, etc. And if the costs are greater than the benefits, we say, well, I don't think I'm going to worship. But okay, here. So what's happening with COVID is that the cost-benefit analysis is weighing heavily on the cost side. And so the decision that a lot of us are making is, I don't want to worship because it's not, listen carefully, worth it. It's not worth it. The value is not worth it. And herein lies the huge mistake. We worship believing that it's about me, what I get out of it how it benefits me, while in reality, worship is for God. That when we go online or when we sit together in a room, when we sing a song, it's less about how that makes me feel, but rather, am I giving worth to God? And when Jesus is declared the Son of God, who tabernacled with us, what uh, Mark and Jesus was, uh, um, what Jesus was trying to convey to his disciples is, listen, I'm not just another prophet. The Christ is not simply another holy man, but I am one who demands and deserves worship. Not because it's good for you or you feel good, but it's because I am worth it. There is a third transformation, and it is that of resurrection. And the transformation is from death to life. Verse 9, and they were coming down from the mountain. Jesus gave them orders not to relate anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. God 
uh, declared Jesus the Son of God. Now Jesus declares himself the Son of Man. And, and here's the duality that Jesus exists in. He's both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And what confused the disciples is the last phrase, until the Son of Man rose from the dead. And this is troubling for the disciples because there are two parts of it that, that, that they didn't quite understand. First of all, we expect the Christ, the one who holds the title, the one who has the name, to be a deliverer, a person of power and authority. We don't expect him to die. And we also quite don't understand resurrection. For the average Jew, they were expecting a new Moses, a liberator, someone who would come with power to uh, liberate them from their greatest pain, which they believed were the Romans. If they would have read the prophets, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 3, they would have learned and, and noticed that uh, the Christ is not simply a conquering king, but listen, a suffering servant who needs to die a lamb that was to be slain for the sake of us. The transfiguration, if, if, you, if you think about it, is a preview of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you, if you think about the resurrection incidents what happened after Jesus resurrected? He appears to different people, and they don't recognize him. He, he's on the road to Emmaus, and they don't quite recognize him. When he appeared to the, the disciples, oh, are you really you? That type of thing. And, and a lot of people speculate that what happened at Transfiguration was a preview of the resurrected body of Jesus. And the only difference, listen carefully, is that once he was resurrected, he had the scars. Isn't it strange that God would, uh, Jesus would be re resurrected from death but still have the scars in his hands and his side? As if it was an eternal reminder that Jesus had to not only conquer, uh, uh, go from life to death, but death to life for our sake, for eternity. You know, there's never been a time in our modern history where the whole world is counting deaths. Last night I looked up the numbers, and I'm sure some of you do also regularly check. 1,038,311 COVID-related deaths. And I know that some people go, well, you know, there's some... You know, comorbidity, but, you know, it doesn't matter. A lot of people died. And there's a race to find a cure, an answer, a solution to COVID. And I believe one day science will come up with a, a good solution of some sort, whether it be a vaccine or a treatment, or, and, and they've gotten better. But uh, listen with me. This may sound morbid, but there's truth in what I'm saying that even if science finds an answer to COVID, uh, there will be something else. Um, 
if science could somehow miraculously find a cure for cancer or a cure for heart disease, through some two of the leading causes of death in the world, in, in the United States? Listen, if medical technology finds the answers to cancer and heart disease, something else will replace those, thing, replace those two things as the leading cause of death. Does that make sense? You know, I'm speaking as an engineer, kind of cold-blooded. But there will always be something that is a leading cause of death. And we can battle all we want as humanity, but we will never win against death. Death is inevitable. Sixteen. Sixteen. That's the number of funerals that happened this year at our church for family members. Different causes, different endings, many of them in isolation. We weep and we hurt for each one of those. Every one of those have, uh, has a history. And by the way, those are only the ones that I, I personally know about. There are probably many more. You know, we can try all we want is to find an answer uh, to sickness and accidents and such. But the final answer must be, how do we reverse death itself? What's the answer to death itself? And when Jesus transfigured, and when he climbed upon the cross and resurrected again, that is the answer. That is the hope. I'm going to ask um, our, our band to come up at this time. You know, a lot of us are here, a lot of us are at home, and we're wrestling. And we feel like the pain that we're wrestling with it, and this time that we're in is so dark and heavy, and we're not sure if we, can, we, if we have the strength to do so. And we call sometimes upon the name of Jesus in our prayer, but listen carefully, in the church, in our church, in our lives, oftentimes we get the name right, but the person wrong. We pray in the name of Jesus, but we forget who he is, that he is God in all his glory, that he is God in incarnate who understands our pain. He is God who conquered death, and if he has the ability and the power and the love and compassion to conquer death for us, conquer sin for us, he will be with us in whatever darkness and pain that we're in right now. I'm going to ask the, our, our staff and our elders to come up. One of the things that Jesus did in the Last Supper, he gathers with the disciples because, the, because we have the propensity to forget and, and he he laid out bread and, and wine, and he said, partake. This is my body, my blood, because we uh, have the propensity to forget and, and focus on our, our darkness, our pains, instead of uh, the awesome, great God uh, that we have. 
And so as uh, the music begins, our, our, lead, our elders are, will go out um, to you, um, take a cup, it's all self-contained, and we'll partake of it together. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, I would ask you to observe uh, at this time and, and just perhaps talk to one of us later. <laughs> 